0: To football mock draft Monday returns Connor and I are going to break down the whole first round also going to talk about uh, some draft on draft questions a little bit of what's going on around the league as we start to get ready two weeks from today I will be in Indianapolis the 2020 NFL combine kicking off uh, we're going to have some fun there we'll get you guys updated when we know our exact plans But Connor uh, a quiet weekend Thank God. Not a whole lot going on.
1: No, not a a whole lot going on. I'll say this, though, Matt. It was fun to have some football this weekend with the XFL in a debut weekend that I thought went as well as anyone could have asked for. I think, of course, with the XFL, the questions will always be, is this uh, sustainable? Is there longevity in this? But along the lines of
0: having football at this time of February,
1: it was pretty fun for what it was.
0: Yeah, let's just start there. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of it. You can probably tell my voice is a little off. My son still has the flu, so I was on dad mode all weekend. But what I did get to see uh, in between uh, trying to make sure he takes Tylenol every four hours was that (laughs) I do like the pace better. I think there are some things the NFL could adopt. The kickoff was amazing to me. And I know this is something Melo and I talked a lot about um, on our our local radio show that we do. Sorry, I thought it was the podcast. It wasn't. But um, it's so much fun because that pause that you have to wait. It's like that old electronic football game that I'm probably the only old enough to have remembered playing where there's just this anticipation and you can't move until the the returner catches the ball i loved that aspect of it i think you know like the interviews on the sideline no way the nfl is ever going to do that like they should i think it'd be cool but i even saw former and current players and coaches being like there's no way like you miss a a a field goal you come off and there's a sideline reporter asking the kicker like what was going through your mind why did you miss this kick (laughs) right away (laughs) i don't yeah i don't see the nfl ever going to that it would be It would be interesting, but I think professional athletes are just not going to want to give that kind of access. As far as, you know, I didn't see a ton of innovation in terms of like rule changes or even like review that I think the NFL is going to have to adopt. One thing I did catch, the little Bud Light sticker on the back of the helmets. I wouldn't be shocked if the NFL adopted that because that's just smart advertising. And I wasn't even looking for it. I just It was just like they had a shot of it and I was like, oh, hey. There's a Bud Light sticker on that guy's helmet. I think that's one thing we could see the NFL adopt. Yeah, a couple of things I
1: was a really big fan of. I agree with you with the kickoff rule because it finds a way to reduce the injury risk of the collisions of the kickoffs while still making it exciting. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, well, the style of the kickoff, this eliminates the big playability it has. I saw plenty of big returns this weekend in the XFL where I didn't really agree with that. I saw guys getting to the outside, getting to the 50-yard line. I thought it was really, really well done. I love, love, love the after-touchdown point conversions, whether it's one, two, or three points. I have no idea why you'd ever go for one. If you go for two, it gives you more room on the field, and obviously the risk was very, very minimal. I liked taking away the kicking game on the point conversions. That was, and the fact that there's strategy to it, deciding whether, you know, if it's nine point lead, Matt, it's a one possession game. Now there will be traditionalists that don't want to get away from that at the national football league. But I think for a league like the XFL, it was phenomenal. Uh, The player interaction with the fans is something they have to do. And I think they did a really good job of it. I do agree that the access it's like they were given full access and they ran too far with it. I don't need to know every single play that's coming before the snap. Right. (laughs) And I Also, don't need to hear from the kicker after he misses a kick. But I thought it was really, really exciting and and well done. And most importantly, I did get the feel that this is a developmental league where this can create more back end of the roster players for the middle of the NFL season that put out tape during the XFL season that'll stay in shape, ready to go.
0: And I will say, I know we said on the Friday show, this was a guardians podcast after seeing some of the people supporting the guardians, God. I'm pulling the plug on it. And I actually said this Saturday morning before kickoff, I was you know what? I'm going to have to stay true to my roots. I'm a roughnecks fan. You know, I, I want to the run and shoot. You got to a rapid Texas team, and again, I mean, Darren Ravel got a Guardians jersey. I'm out on that. So I love the all black, but I think it, you know when it, with a new league, you got to pick your team wisely. So I'm I am officially switching, and did so before kickoff Saturday. I'm I'm now a Roughnecks fan.
1: Yeah, and you know some of the players in it that we were excited for, did like Cardell Jones. I thought played very well, you know, classic Cardell where all the arm talent in the world. PJ Walker was very good. Matt was was very good. It was a a league where I'll say this for how much time they've had and the level of quarterbacks that they have as the face of the league. I thought the offenses
0: were actually somewhat in sync a lot more than I expected. Yeah, let's move on to the NFL. That's your XFL talk for the week. We'll have more next week today, Monday, uh, as we're recording this Monday morning, depending on when you listen to it. Tua Tagovailoa's hip CT is today. Now this is seen as a a milestone in his rehab. We are three months out from injury. We are two weeks before the combine. So I actually like that they scheduled it. Now they will there will be no surprises when they get to Indy, which I think is huge. You want to know internally where are we at, and for Tua today. Three months out, I have no idea, and I don't think anyone possibly could, not even Adam Schefter, if he gets the CT scans from some rogue hospital employee. I don't think anyone has any idea what to expect right now. I know we said a month ago that his doctor's appointment in New York went very well to the point that he felt confident declaring. And his agent, Lee Steinberg, came out and said, hey, he's going to have a full recovery. We're going to be good to go. I think we'll hear maybe this afternoon on Monday, but definitely by Tuesday, we'll have some information as far as how that CT scan looked today.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, it's going to be huge, obviously. And like you said, Matt, this is something that will not be made available to the general public public. But I think when we get to Indy, you'll hear plenty of rumors about how comfortable teams are with Tua. And you might hear some fake stuff for teams that hope he might fall down the board to number five, the Miami Dolphins. So, I think the draft cycle around Tua is obviously one of the most interesting storylines of this entire offseason because of the health risk. And until we get to see him out on the field, working out, going through a full workout, going through a full cycle of throws, whenever that would be, I think people are always going to be a little skeptical on his return. But I know personally, for me, I'm very, very excited to see Tua make this comeback. And I would say
0: for me, if Tua were healthy, and I know that's the it's the hugest if in the world because he's had three significant injuries in two years if he were healthy I think we would be talking about a battle for number one quarterback in this class we like Jared would Goff be. and Carson Wentz you know it would be back to the or Baker Mayfield Sam Darnold it would be more of those conversations of man you're almost just splitting hairs which style do you like better from the two quarterbacks because I do think with Tua he got hit with two of like the draft cycles worst nightmares He was so good early that we started over—I don't say we, not not the three of us here. The people started to overlook him, like, okay, he's good. Let's pull him apart for every little flaw. And then he got hurt, so you forget how good he was. So it was like he was over-processed, over-evaluated, and then he got hurt, and Joe Burrow has a historic season. I think people have forgotten how good Tua is, but we'll see where the hip is at again today. CT scan, two weeks to combine, and he's going to get poked, prodded, and pulled in a million directions there, and there will be a cleaner look, not just at the hip, but also at the ankle, which has not been talked about. I'll say this, Matt,
1: and you probably noticed this as well. When we got to spend time with Jerry Judy, Jerry's definitely a, you know, a more quiet, reserved guy, which isn't always the case for superstar receivers, but definitely got that vibe from him. Something that really lit him up when we were talking to him or got him really excited was talking about his teammates, and one of those was sp- uh, specifically to us. So I think that's something you're going to hear across the board in this draft cycle, and you'll hear it for Joe Burrow too, you already have, is how much – His teammates and coaches and everyone around the University of Alabama adores this guy. And it's something that's only going to help sell him to teams even
0: more going forward. Oh, without a doubt. Now, more quarterback talk. And I keep trying to tell people when it comes to mock drafts this time of year, everything is based on what we think will happen in free agency. But more than any year, I've been doing this 10 years, more than any year. Free agency is going to have a monster effect on the NFL draft because of the quarterback position. We're waiting to see what happens with Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, Jameis Winston, Ryan Tannehill. There are seven starting quarterbacks. We're going to be free agents this year. And Michael Irvin, uh, I don't know if he meant to do it, but he dropped a grenade on the <laughs> NFL world when he said that he had talked to people in Miami who said people with the Cowboys in Miami who said that, It has been discussed, at least, bringing in Tom Brady and then trying to tag and trade Dak Prescott. I think that would be a very Cowboys thing to do. And if you're trying to win a Super Bowl within the next two years, that part of it makes sense. But moving on from Dak Prescott, who just had a phenomenal season, I think, what, like 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns. He had a phenomenal season. You bring in a quarterback, of Mike McCarthy, who you're hoping can capitalize on Dak's strengths. You're trying to build this team around him and you throw it all away for two years of Tom Brady. Again, Jerry Jones, very impulsive. It has worked sometimes in the past with Jimmy Johnson. Other times it hasn't. I don't see how this is a smart football move. From a marketing perspective, it would be phenomenal. From a long-term view, this is a horrendous move. I mean, Tom Brady
1: is going to be playing at 43 years old next year, while Dak Prescott will be playing at 27. They both... Uh, You know, Tom turns 43 this summer. Dak turns 27 this upcoming summer. But, Matt, are we even sure right now that Tom Brady gives you a better chance at a Super Bowl than Dak Prescott? Because I am not after watching this season. I, I thought Dak was very, very good, extremely good. And that's not to take away from Tom. But you have an ascending young quarterback that's been there. And this might just be. Complete nonsense for the Cowboys fans listening that are going, why are we even addressing this? I mean, <laughs> when it's a, a, a rumor from Michael Irvin, you, no matter how crazy it is, we're going to address it. But, yeah, I'm with you all the way that just get the deal done with Dak. I mean, right. he was very, very good this year. He keeps getting better. You have something in place there in Dallas that, you know, you're building chemistry for the long haul. And I just think that when you have a young franchise quarterback like that, you should not even entertain these kind of things.
0: Oh, I, I absolutely agree. Definitely should not. Uh, should and would with the Dallas Cowboys could be a little different. But I think what you have in Dak, who, like you said, is is young, and he is what the league is moving toward. I mean, he's not Lamar Jackson as a runner, but he can get things done with his legs. And I think we're seeing that become such a huge part of offenses. He's accurate. He's smart. He's a great leader. He just threw for 4,900 yards. And I think you can look at Dallas and say, I mean, Amari Cooper's like good, but not great. Michael Gallup is an ascending player, you know, Jason Witten, a tight end. Like, come on, he needs more help around him. And I I think he also, the offensive scheme got a little bit stale. And then even with Kellen Moore coming in this year, like first two weeks, they looked amazing. That dropped off a little bit. So I I think you have to go with Dak. The bigger, I think, question is why hasn't the deal gotten done yet? You've known this was coming. You've had negotiations for like a year now. So somebody's going to have to fold here. And I'm betting It will be Dallas. Now, one thing I I wanted, uh, sorry, go ahead. If you fold for Ezekiel Elliott, you better fold for the
1: quarterback. Like, that's where my priorities are mixed up. And I know just, like, looking at this, that Stephen Jones has said they're all in on Dak. Mike McCarthy's all in on Dak. Michael Irvin has, you know, kind of said, oh, it wasn't, like, that serious. (laughs) But the thing is, like, if you got the deal done with your running back,
0: I, I really hope you could figure it out with the quarterback,
1: which is so much more valuable.
0: I always felt like they did this backward. They should have done Dak first, I agree. And then Zeke. But uh, we're not in the locker room dealing with the politics there, so maybe it is different. Uh, now, one thing I did want to do before we get into Mock Draft Monday was talk about some players that uh, went up the board for me over the weekend. Uh, there was a little more controversy than there should have been on Twitter, but that's Twitter for you about this. But this time of year, as you know, because I've seen you tweeting out many of the same things, is that we have been on the road since August 19th. I've been, I've, I personally have been gone every other weekend since August 19th. So yeah. when I'm home on weekends, I have my son. I'm a single dad. I have a six-year-old. and I'm taking care of him. And also trying to get caught up on players because like, f- until the senior bowl, all my focus was on seniors. And then after the senior bowl, you tend to switch to juniors and try to watch those guys leading up to the combine. So for me, this means guys move up, guys move down. Three players I want to highlight that are moving up for me. The first one was Stanford Samuels, the corner from Florida State. And I, I was very uh, transparent about this. When I watched him – in November, I was like, ugh, I don't know about this guy. But the more I have watched, the more I think you see the traits. And so the, like, not looking at the production or necessarily how he did in a given play, but looking at the traits for Samuels, I'm really intrigued. He's 6'2", he's 185. I thought he moved a lot better as I got to Game 5, Game 6 than I expected. He's going to be a little bit scheme-specific, but when I look at the tier of corners in Round 2, you know, guys like A.J. Terrell, I would put Stanford Samuels right below that. I think Cam Dantzler is going to be in that conversation. I really liked what I saw from him. And I think in this class where there's not that great shelf at tier two and corner, I think he has a chance to move into that spot and be a top 50 pick along the lines of like Jalen Johnson. I would put Jalen a little ahead of him. AJ Terrell a little bit ahead of him, but I, I think he's right there with guys like Trevon Diggs, uh, Noah from Auburn, Cameron Dansler, So probably like a top 60 pick for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you look at Samuel's you always go back to why he was, you know, a five-star recruit and the length and the athleticism. So, I think he he almost feels like one of those prospects that is still that ball of clay, a really really raw player that definitely surprised this show when he declared early. But yeah. I think when you look at the state of the program at Florida State and you look at how NFL teams will value what he offers at the cornerback position, it does make sense whether he got a return to you know school grade or not. Something that we don't personally know right now. But I'm with you, Matt. I'm excited to watch more of him. I, and same, I like that you brought up the name Jalen Johnson because he feels like now for a while that first corner off the board in the second round of mock drafts and conversations was Jeff Gladney. Gladney's been pushing the back end of round one because you have a lot of players that go back to school or fall. Now Johnson seems to be the the guy for everyone in
0: round two. Yeah, another one moving up for me, again, a guy locally for me, Jordan Elliott. With Mizzou, I was like, God, Mizzou was so bad this year. I know that's not horrendous. a team that a lot of people are watch nationally. They just weren't fun to watch, and so I kind of put off Jordan Elliott. I really like him. I think he is up there with guys like Justin Matabuke. Um, he's probably in there with Neville, Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma, two guys that were seniors that I, I really enjoyed in this class. I think he's going to push to be in that category of – a round two pick. And Jordan Elliott, probably not a guy a lot of people know. Uh, he transferred from Texas, but really good athlete at 6'4", 3'15". I think he could play as a three technique. He's going to offer some versatility if he has to come out and play as a five technique on first and second down. But I, I think when you look at the interior D-line class, it is like Raekwon Davis, Jordan Elliott, Neville Gallimore, Justin Matabuke are the four guys that are maybe mid to late second round picks, but They're kind of clustered together for me right now. And and honestly, it's just a matter of having more time and more access to game tape to break those guys down. But uh, starting to get a little more excited about that tier two and tier D line class.
1: Would you consider it basically Kinlon Brown are in that tier one and then you get the Ross Blacklock kind of range in the middle? Yeah, that's kind of how it's looking for me as well. I think Kinlon Brown is closer than I expected it to be Uh, while you've been watching. You know, a lot of players on the defensive end of things. I've been trying to catch up on the offensive line and the wide receivers. And when we were in Mobile, we heard a lot of potential round one talk for Brandon Ayuk. And then he didn't get to practice that week. It took some of the buzz out of things. I've gone back and watched his end-of-season games, saw the beginning of the season. Like you said, we were always on the road. Then you go back to the big games at the end of the season, specifically against Oregon. And I get it, the explosiveness with the ball in his hands. He's one of the better run-after-catch kind of players in this class. Now, I don't know if he'll be round one in this draft. That would be tough for me because – Listen, we might see Judy, Lamb, Ruggs, those kind of guys fall down the board, and that only pushes someone like Ayuk. But if you're looking for a day-two player, similar to how Nicole Hardman was valued last year, in the spread-heavy NFL offenses, a guy that you can find different ways to get the ball in his hands, you can send him vertically, he can return punts. I really
0: like what I saw from the speedster in Ayuk. It's funny you mentioned that Oregon game because, and I, I was over here typing, pulling up my notes. He in that game. Uh, so Oregon has two defenders that I really like: uh, the edge rusher Thibodeau and then Lenore, the corner. And Ayuk absolutely worked Lenore in that game and badly. I didn't, <laughs> that was the one game where you're like, holy shit! Like this guy, Ayuk, is, uh, is a player because you can get like caught sometimes. Like, oh man, is he is he really that good, or is he just making two to three explosive plays a game? that stick in your memory. He worked Lenore, and Lenore's a good player. That's no disrespect to him. He worked him in that game. My comp for Ayuk has been Sammy Watkins. I I still feel really good about that. I like that a lot. Yeah, and one more guy I I want to point out because I I think there's a good chance that he goes to New York. your New York Jets. I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I love Caleb on Chase. And I know we've been talking about him on the show for two years. You guys might be tired of it, but just getting a chance to watch him more this week, and I know the production wasn't there. I think he only had three sacks this year. My goodness, can he bend? And I think when you look at this class of edge rushers, you know guys like AJ Epinesa, I don't even think AJ's truly an edge. I think he's more of like a big defensive end who's going to kick inside some. Me too. It's Chase Young, and then it's Chase on. As far as guys that can truly bend and, and get around the corner, I mean, Yidor Grosmodos is is going to be in that conversation as well. But again, he's another guy that's really filling out a bigger dude. I, I just think Chase on's got a chance to just shoot way way up. I don't want to give this away too much because BR will get mad at me because they're tired of me spoiling my big board (laughs) on the podcast. He's going to be in the top 15 for me when I do an update. I just, you know, I said it on the show earlier in the year when I love a guy, like I'm just going to love the guy regardless of whatever guys in the NFL say chase on one of those dudes. I just love watching him play.
1: I was talking about that with our buddy, Jacob Hester on his radio show down in Baton Rouge on Friday. We went through a lot of the LSU prospects and when you get to chase on the thing is, watch the tape against good offensive tackle prospects and look for the out-of-box score production. I think one of those is you brought up that ability to bend, Matt. Look at it against Alex Leatherwood, who went back to school for Alabama. Before yep. he did that and before that game, we were consistently talking about him in the top 20 of our early mock draft Mondays, and I thought Chase On got him really good. He hit Isaiah Wilson with that spin move. I mean, you you saw the varied pass rush plan down the stretch at the end of the season where, number one, like you said, this is not a deep edge class. And just the traits that Chason has. And, and I think you bring up the Jets, and a lot of people will be scared. Well, you said these things about Ja'Kai Polite. They're on a different no. world yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of character, a completely yep. different world. So that's the one thing you have to note with Chason as he rises in this draft class.
0: Yeah, and a dude who, I, I think we've talked about it before, you want to see guys play well in big games. Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma were chased on three best games. That's right. So that's what you want to see from a player. But let's take a break. We come back. The Bengals are on the clock. You know who the pick is going to be, but we're going to go through all 32 <laughs> picks of round one for you. Anyway, here on Mock Draft Monday, the Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock at number one. Overall, I want to remind everybody this is a mock draft without trades. Although Connor, you as the GM, I don't think you would even probably listen to a trade at this point for number one overall.
1: I would not. I know people have discussed this at times. What is the price for the Bengals? I don't think there is one. This is a franchise that has basically had a miracle fall into their lap where the top quarterback in this draft is an Ohio kid that can really turn this franchise around. I believe he can now. They do need to build around him. They do need to spend money and care about winning football games. But for the Bengals, you're not moving out of this pick. It is Joe
0: Burrow, number one overall. And you're going to get tired of this, too, because number two overall, Washington Redskins, it is Chase Young, edge rusher from Ohio State. And I will say this. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, and I've had a lot of people ask me this. Would Washington trade out of this spot? Or what would it cost? I think Washington would have to want to trade out. That's what people forget. It takes two to tango, just like with free agency. Like, a team can want to keep a player, but the player has to want to stay there. And I think with Washington, sure, Miami could call an offer, the world to come up to number two for Tua. But do the Redskins want to trade out? I don't think they do. I think Ron Rivera is going to look at Chase Young and say, how did I get this lucky? And like Joe Burrow, you're getting a somewhat local guy who is a high character player who can come in and really change the fortunes of this team. The NFL is a copycat league. Everyone's going to look at San Francisco and say, look what Nick Bosa did. And look what they did with five first rounders on that D-line. Washington would have four first rounders plus Matt Ioannidis, who is a very good player. The model is there. Chase Young is different than Nick Bosa. I think he's probably closer to Miles Garrett in terms of the type of player that he is because he's not exceptional against the run. That could change with a little bit of technique help. His first-step quickness is as good as you're going to get, whether it's Garrett, Clowney, Khalil Mack. He's in that category in terms of first-step quickness and the panic that he causes for offensive linemen. So I think Chase Young is... Close to a done deal at number two overall if you're Washington.
1: Number three, the Detroit Lions, and they're hoping that is not a done deal and that Washington (laughs) trades out so they get Chase Young. But I don't know if they'll be that lucky. This pick for me is Jeff Okuda, another Ohio State player. So the top three players in this mock draft have all played at Ohio State before. I think for the Lions – there's a couple of factors in play here, Matt. What is going to happen with Darius Slay? Number two, Akuta is just a top five player in this draft overall. Matt Patricia, who you know has been able to keep his job. I think you look at those New England defenses over the years. They value having a number one shutdown corner, yep. and that is exactly what Jeff Okuda is. So for the Lions here, I know there will be people sent. And when we get to trades, be, this will be the team that's in the conversation of trading. We're not there right now. And, and I think you look at it, this is the best possible pick for them if they stay in this spot. You're right.
0: Patriots have had, I mean, Revis, Butler, Gilmore. You need good corners in that scheme. That's how they run the defense. of sense there. Number four, the New York Giants. Again, this is becoming almost rote at this point because we feel like they're going to go offensive tackle. Now, I do hear that Nate Solder could come back, at least for one more year, but offensive tackle is still a need. Right tackle It's still a future need. This is why I have Jedrick Wills going here from Alabama. He could come in and play right tackle. He could play left tackle and have Solder switch sides. Gives you a lot of versatility. I know there's been a lot of talk about Makai Becton It's been a lot of talk about, I mean, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, and I I feel like we've said this a billion times, but, you know, for me, it's just Wills is the best tackle in this class, and that's no disrespect to some of the other guys I mentioned who are really good players. Wills is just the best. I think his recovery speed, his technique, his accuracy when shooting his hands. Now, I will be interested to see what he measures in at in two weeks because we are going to see teams, as always, panic when it comes to arm length, so that'll be key for Wills, but I think if you're the Giants – you got Daniel Jones, you got Saquon Barkley, you got some good young receivers. You want to build this offense around. You got to do that by protecting everybody up front with Wills. Uh, there's a big talk about Isaiah Simmons here. I personally think that's too early for a player who, whether he's a linebacker or a safety, I think on talent he's top five, but when it comes to positional value, guys like Simmons are going to get knocked down a little bit. Yeah, Wills is in a tier of his own, and you got to protect Daniel Jones. I mean, like we, we
1: keep saying, you, one way to uh, you know, reduce that fumbling issue Make sure he doesn't get hit, so add Jedrick Wills at four. Number five, the Miami Dolphins. This is the dream scenario for them. The quarterback that they want is there at number five, and Tua of by I do think when all is said and done, the Dolphins will trade up. They have a lot of ammo, two second-round picks, a couple other first-round picks. But in this mock draft, no one takes Tua there, so he falls to them. It almost feels like right now, Matt – It would be a surprise if Tua ends up in anything except a Dolphins jersey on draft night. But the only problem with that is, considering the entire league knows that, I'm curious to watch if any of these teams behind them get ultra-aggressive to jump them to take him.
0: And I do think by the time we get to April, we used to say this about your Jets. You know, they were sitting at 6, and we are like, you're going to have to move up. You're going to have to move up. And they did. I think with the Dolphins... We're probably just waiting for those milestones of the CT scan for Tua, the Combine. And I think the talk is going to heat up. Here's what happens with the Combine. Tua's, we're going to know the medicals, and Chris Greer is going to you know, run into John Robinson, and, or, or Bob Quinn, excuse me, and be like, hey, let's start. What's it going to take to come up to three? We have 18. We have 26. What's it going to take to get to three? You know, If we throw in 26 and five, is that going to get us to three? I think those conversations are going to start because you're right. The Lions can just dangle them over the fire, basically, and make them pay something to come up and get the guy. (laughs) At number six, the L.A. Chargers, another team that needs a quarterback. I think Justin Herbert is the guy here for them. And this isn't just a consolation prize. I think Herbert, we didn't talk a lot about him over the last year because we were so fascinated with Tua and Burrow and the the rise, especially of Joe Burrow. Justin Herbert really turned things around his senior year. Now, there are still going to be things that you don't like. He doesn't always get to second, third, read cleanly. He does overthrow a little bit. I think you can clean up some of the mechanics there. But Herbert is worthy of a top-ten pick, in my opinion, because he plays quarterback. Arm is there. Athleticism is there. A lot of the stuff that we heard a year ago when he went back to school about might not be a great leader, kind of a different dude, I will say a lot of that talk has quieted down. I think he's really worked hard to establish himself more as a vocal leader, more of a locker room guy. For the Chargers, you need a quarterback – you need to sell tickets. I think Justin Herbert fits really well with what you have there in Keenan Allen, what you have in, in Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. This offense can be pretty explosive with Herbert's arm. I
1: love that landing spot for Herbert. And as we always said, if, if he's not ready to go right away, you do have Tyrod Taylor under contract on a cheap deal for one more year there. And Tyrod's been in that spot before. With Baker Mayfield, you know how how his character is and how he'll handle that. Number seven, the Panthers here. Matt rules Panthers. I think, Matt, they are going to slow build this thing. I think a lot of people are sitting there wondering, are the Panthers an option to take a quarterback? Are they going to be ultra aggressive? When you have a coach that is on a six-, seven-year deal, And you know that this thing is a a long, long foundational kind of rebuild here. And I'm not saying it's good. They have a lot of talent on offense. You have McCaffrey, you have DJ Moore, you have players, but they don't need to panic and take a quarterback here. And I think that's why they go offensive line at seven. And this is Mekhi Becton from Louisville. This is the sweet spot for him. I know he's been one of the biggest risers over this last month. And when you look at the Panthers offensive line, Yes, they took Greg Little last year. They traded up for Greg Little in round two. I don't know if they're going to come into this year betting the house that Greg Little is a franchise left tackle. And even if he pans out, Becton is somebody that you can go play on the right side or you move Little to the right side. You need to stack the deck with good offensive linemen for whoever the future quarterback
0: of this team is. And if it's Cam Newton this year, we know how important it is to protect that guy. I think... Derek Brown is another intriguing player here, depending on what they do in free agency. And I'll say with Becton, I know there's a lot of juice on this guy lately. Um, and I, I think, where I have 21 overall, maybe, uh, on my board. I think of the offensive lineman. So if we put Wills, Thomas, Werfs, Becton in a group together, he is the one that scares me the most, Becton is. I agree. I feel like completely. the other guys, like, Andrew Thomas, worst-case scenario, is a really good guard. Tristan Werfs, worst-case scenario, is a really good guard. Becton, if he doesn't hit... Man, like it it could be it could be a pretty big fall off for him. Now I do, I love the upside. There's a ton of it there. The way he moves at his size is probably not natural, but he is for me the if you just want to talk biggest boom or bust tackle out of the top tier, I think it is Becton, which is why I mean he's my number three or four offensive tackle in this class. Yeah, twenty
1: fifth. Yeah overall.
0: Number, number eight, the Arizona Cardinals. Speaking of Tristan Wirfs, this is where I have him come off the board. Uh, DJ Humphreys is a free agent. The Cardinals got to do something up front. I know we've said before, we don't know how Cliff Kingsbury will value the offensive line. I think he values keeping Kyler Murray healthy because that's his dude. Tristan Warfs helps them out immediately. Like I just said, whether you play him at right tackle where he was at Iowa, left tackle where I think he could play in the NFL, if you move him inside, I think he's Zach Martin, Brandon Scherf. He's a really, really good guard. Tristan Warf, wherever you want to play this dude, he's going to be a big-time factor as a rookie, and the Cardinals need a lot of help up front. I think he's my second favorite offensive lineman in this class, Matt, to be honest
1: with you. I look at Wills, and I think he's in his own tier, and I understand there might be concerns with Worfs at tackle, but number one... You know, just like Jonah Williams last year, I'm drafting him to be a tackle. And I do think you have all pro level guard play there as well. So I look at worse. I think the floor is very, very high. And I'm a big fan of his number nine, the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is a team that can go offensive line here with an Andrew Thomas, but I'm actually going to look on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think Telvin Smith is coming back, and I see Isaiah Simmons here, somebody that can play so many different roles for this Jacksonville defense. Him and Miles Jack, that'd be a really, really fun group to watch together, and this exciting front seven for Jacksonville here. I don't think he goes top five, but I do think a lot of people will value him as a top five player. So for Jacksonville at nine here to not only solve a need, but to get that type of level of talent is just incredible return and in value on this pick.
0: Yeah. I mean, I say Simmons is going to be one of those guys we all love. And it's, there's me, I think the only argument is going to be, where do you play him? And I think he can play safety. I think he can play some weak side backer. Um, there's a, a mold for him to fit in this Jacksonville defense. Now, at number 10, overall, We have the Cleveland Browns who could go a ton of directions. I'll be interested to see what Andrew Barry, the new GM, does with some of the players that they've acquired over the past couple of years. If Olivier Vernon's let go, this could be a Caleb on chase on landing spot. If Joe Sherbert walks in for agency, could Patrick Queen go here? I'm going to go with the chalk pick here. Andrew Thomas, offensive line from Georgia. I think if John Dorsey made one big mistake in terms of personnel, it was that they didn't upgrade the offensive line. I think they really put all their eggs in the Trent Williams basket. And when that didn't happen, they got stuck with no plan at left tackle. Andrew Thomas, like we just said, even if you envision that he's a guard, he's going to be an excellent guard prospect. I think you can look at him at Georgia. We talked about it earlier. There were games like against Chase on where I thought he got worked a little bit. There are a lot of other games, the SEC, for the last two years where he was a top-tier performer. So I think with Andrew Thomas... He's getting overthought a little bit. Like you just said, Connor, like Jonah Williams last year, where it's like, "You okay, we've watched you for three years. Now let's overthink it. For that long, you were great at left tackle at Georgia. I know he's got a boxy build. I think for the Browns, he could come in, play that left tackle spot, keep Baker clean, allow him time to step up in the pocket and get the ball downfield to those amazing targets they have at receiver.
1: 11, the New York Jets, a tough spot for them. Guess what? All four top offensive linemen are gone. This will raise a lot of questions. What do the Jets do when all is said and done? I think they're going to end up one of those top four offensive linemen. I think the board will shake out a little differently than this year. I don't think they'll get wills, but a Becton, Worfs or Thomas, I think will be there at 11 when all is said and done. If they're not, I have no justifiable argument, Matt, to not take Jerry Judy here for Sam Darnold. I can't do it. Maybe Joe Douglas can. If I was a betting man, I would say the Jets' plan is offensive lineman in round one, wide receiver in round two at 49. I would bet the house on that something like that is their plan. I can't pass on Jerry Judy. They don't have a number one wide receiver. If Robbie Anderson leaves, they don't have a number two wide receiver. Your quarterback, Sam Darnold, needs somebody reliable to throw the ball to. I just, once again, if Judy is there at 11 and the top four offensive linemen are gone and it comes down to Caleb on Chason versus Josh Jones versus Jerry Judy, it's a no-brainer to me.
0: Yeah, I, I love Judy. And I think the argument against the Jets going receiver in round one has just always been not that they don't need it. It's just uh, Joe Douglas isn't a receiver guy. He's not going to do it early. Uh, we'll see if he's a receiver guy with no tackles on the board. 12, the Las Vegas Raiders. I think they take the best receiver on the board here. That is C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. He's going to get picked apart at the combine because he might not run that well. And I think, I mean, I've said it before, his route tree is underdeveloped. doesn't mean he can't do things. just means he wasn't asked to. So I think that is one of the questions with C.D. but... Turn the tape on, man. For two years, he was the best receiver in the Big 12 and was unstoppable. He's physical catch radius is enormous for a guy who's not that big. He plays like he's mad at everyone in the world, which I love about his game. CeeDee Lamb to to the Raiders. I almost said to Oakland. That's going to take a while to get used to. CeeDee Lamb to the Raiders. Give Derek Carr a true number one receiver, and let's see what he's got. Yeah, give Tom Brady a true number one, rider There you 13,
1: go. <laughs> the Colts here. We're going quarterback. The Colts fans love this pick. Jordan Love from Utah State. Uh, I personally would not make this pick. I think Jordan Love is a gigantic gamble in the top 20 selections. But I will say this for Indianapolis. I, I think with Jacoby Brissett under contract for one more year, and you need that developmental year for Jordan Love, they are one of the teams that the fit here does make a lot of sense and would not surprise me. But once again, with the, if I was betting my future on it, I'm still skeptical and scared of taking guys like Jordan Love, Jacob Eason, even Justin Herbert, a little bit. If your name is not Joe Burrow or Tua a tongue right? It, this quarterback class gets a little scary, but teams got, you got to take risk. If you want to sit at the big boy table,
0: I could also see Chris Ballard. Just bring a Phillip Rivers in, you know, for like two years. Oh, a veteran. You know, if we're making this pick in, what, uh,
1: five weeks? I mean, I would not be shocked if we're like, oh, well, we're drafting this offensive lineman to
0: protect this right. 40-year-old quarterback. <laughs> exactly, right? Number 14, speaking of quarterbacks, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I don't know what, I, I just truly, I don't know what they're going to do with Jameis Winston, a free agent. <laughs> I think that conversation's probably still being had internally. No quarterback in this class, other than Justin Herbert, better fits Tampa Bay and Bruce Arians than Jacob Eason. Big body, can stand in the pocket, take the hits. Great arm for that vertical passing attack. I don't know that he'll be better than Jameis Winston. I actually think they're a lot alike in terms of decision-making, some of the plays they make that will drop your jaw, and then some of the plays they make that make you want to punch a wall. I think they're very similar in that way. But Jacob Eason definitely fits the mold of what Bruce Arians wants if they move on from, from Jameis and free agency.
1: Eason is going to be the guy that wins the uh, combine throwing TV award. Like everyone's going to be watching the quarterbacks throw. and They're going to be like, "Holy shit, look at this guy
0: throw!" The problem is, Matt,
1: when he's on the field, it's a lot more than just throwing. I mean, so, Josh but,
0: Allen did that too. I, I can't remember if you were with us. I think yeah, it was me, you, and Melo at lunch, and Josh yeah. Allen started throwing, and we were like, "Holy fuck!" Like, <laughs> yeah, I've ne- like, yeah, I mean, even like Mahomes. You know, when you watched him throw it, was oh, damn. Josh Allen was just spinning the ball. Jacob Eason's going to be on that level too. Without a doubt. 15, the Denver Broncos.
1: Back to offensive line here, because I do think they need to upgrade this unit. I have Josh Jones here from Houston. They have a young quarterback in Drew Locke that they need to protect. I do think Josh Jones needs to get a little stronger in his base, but you always bring up the comparison to Andre Dillard, Matt. This is a guy with length, light feet, and pass protection. He's somebody that if you develop, he can be your franchise tackle for a long time. The reason I stayed away from this pick for the Jets is – I do think on the offensive line, they're going to be looking for a very, very strong, tough run blocker to get that run game going for Adam Gase's offense and Sam Darnold. I don't know if Jones is on that level yet, but for Denver and that potentially high octane passing attack they're building over there, I really like this landing spot.
0: Yeah, he's a dancing bear. He's not necessarily a mauler. Number 16, the Atlanta Falcons. We had Thomas Dimitrov on the show, and, and one thing that... I've learned about Thomas over the, the long time I've been doing this job is he values character really highly in his evaluations. Caleb Chason has character From rocking that 18 for LSU. We know how important that is. He also has athleticism and he has upside. Vic Beasley is gone. The Falcons tweeted it out themselves. They are not bringing him back. I think chase on fits what they want to do defensively. He also fits that model of person they want to put in their locker room so chase on a little bit of a fall here i'm surprised he was still on the board so I, I jumped all over it chase on a 16 to the falcons and we'll take a break and come back connor gets to be on the clock at 17 with the dallas cowboys and uh, a lot of free agents that you got to replace their dallas connor you are up man the dallas cowboys at 17 overall you could go Almost any position here other than quarterback, and it would make sense. Yeah, I think there's
1: a lot on the table here. A lot of Cowboys fans are probably going to scream because Derek Brown and John Kinlaw are still on the board here. But I'm going to go safety for the Cowboys. I think this is a position they desperately need to upgrade. And I really like Xavier McKinney from Alabama in this spot. For a while, it would have been Grant Delpit. I thought McKinney was drastically a better player this year. I love his play speed, especially his pursuit to the football. He could do a lot of different things, whether it's in coverage, whether it's against the run. We've pretty much seen a complete package player from McKinney. And for the Cowboys, I would have no problem taking a Derrick Brown or Javon Kinlaw here but a lot of this pick is going to matter of how they attack free agency with what cap space they have left after figuring out negotiations with Dak Prescott. Obviously, Byron Jones and Amari Cooper are set to be free agents, so a lot is on the table for them here, but they have to get
0: a dude at the safety position, Matt. I'll say with McKinney, he is my top safety like by far in this class. I compared him to Justin Simmons. I think there's a little minka to his game. I, I still like to do school-to-school comparisons, but— Man, he has range, he can blitz, he can play free safety or strong safety. I really like McKinney. Cowboys fans should be excited about that. Number 18, the Miami Dolphins. We gave them Tua at five, and then there was a run on offensive tackles, which is probably the worst-case scenario for Miami. I'm going to reach here a little bit, though, because they desperately need a left tackle after trading Laramie Tunsil. I'm going to give them Austin Jackson from USC, a guy who has high-ceiling player. Really high ceiling. I think the floor is a little bit low, though. He needs to develop. We saw him struggle to handle the power of A.J. Epinesa in the bowl game, but throughout his career in the Pac 12, he handled speed really well. So, Austin Jackson, you know, not, I don't think he's at the Josh Jones level, but he would be the, you know, the sixth ranked tackle on my board, which in this year's class is a pretty good place to be. Yeah, you're
1: seeing it here. The Tier 2 tackles are starting to fly up
0: into the first round because of
1: the demand. 19, the Las Vegas Raiders here. They get a wide receiver earlier in this draft in CeeDee Lamb. they got to be thrilled about that. Now they get a linebacker here on Kenneth Murray. They need a player for the middle of this defense that has range, that's nasty, that can be a leader. Kenneth Murray is a day-one starter at linebacker, and with no Isaiah Simmons on the board here, this is the pick for them right now.
0: And I think with Murray, we're going to see Murray and Queen really be those two guys. That's who I was torn between. You you know, it's just what, what do you want? They're so similar. I think Murray is a little bit better against the run. Queen's a little bit better in space. So it's what do you want from those two guys? They're ranked incredibly close on my board. It comes down to scheme fit a little bit. Number 20, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Earlier in this draft, you gave them Isaiah Simmons. Like you said, Telvin Smith, probably not coming back. I'm going to have them replace here another guy who got shipped off by Tom Coughlin. That's Jalen Ramsey. So CJ Henderson from Florida is the pick. We talked about this on the Friday show. Henderson is locked in as my number two corner in this class. Uh, He's actually another player that is moving up for me. The only thing I wondered about was, you know, lacking contact and coverage. I know he's not a great tackler. Can he be physical? I think his size allows him to be a little bit more physical than than I at least anticipated. He's aggressive in coverage. He'll rub wide receivers off their route. My favorite thing, obviously, is the quickness to recover within the route to close on the ball. So C.J. Henderson here, I I compared him to Tredavious White in our Draft 400 write-ups that we're doing. Uh, I I think he's a really, really special corner. If it weren't for, honestly, for me, if it weren't for Jeff Okuda in this class, I think we'd be talking about C.J. Henderson a lot more. 21, the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a team that needs a wide receiver,
1: and number three on the wide receiver board for me is sitting here looking at them in the face. That is Henry Ruggs, and this is just a steal. At 21, he's going to run in the four twos at the combine, bet anything you want on it. But Ruggs is more than that, more than a speedster. I, I think he has great length with his catch radius. I think his routes really, really improved this year. You can get him involved on screens, jet sweeps. He does so many things well. And for the Eagles, getting a guy that threatens to stretch the field for Carson Wentz in this run game it is a must here. They need more speed at this position. They simply need bodies at this position. Ruggs is a difference
0: maker from day one in Philadelphia. It's funny. I get people who ask me, like, well, how do you use Ruggs? Like, if you watch the Super Bowl, use him like Tyree Kill was used and use him like Debo Samuel was used. Exactly. Same, it's the same thing. I mean, it's just the same dude and against a little bit faster. This is exactly what Philly needs because they they definitely need speed, and he is the guy to give you a ton of that. Number 22, the Buffalo Bills. There's going to be a mini run on receivers late first round. We know it's coming. The Bills, they need size. Josh Allen, for all the things he's done well, is still not the most accurate quarterback on planet Earth, so you want a big catch radius for him to go with the speed of Cole Beasley and John Brown. T. Higgins is that dude, 6'4", 215. I think he is the best of the round one guys when it comes to being able to extend, especially in the red zone, not necessarily be a jump ball guy, but be able to separate with size and win over the top. I like think T Higgins fits this. So, I mean, deep threat. He's got it. Catch radius. He's got it. And he does give you a little bit uh, above the turf in terms of if Josh misses, he's going to be able to save you. And he has some juice after
1: the catch that I did not see his first two years at Clemson. And this year he was willing to grab the ball and run some people over 23, the new England Patriots, maybe the best value pick of the entire first round. And of course it has to be to them. That is Derek Brown from Auburn. And some people might be shaking their heads here. They go, how does Brown fall this far? It's a positional value thing here. If you look at the teams in the top 15 or top 20 picks here, a lot of them or most of them need offensive line, a pretty big handful of them definitely need quarterbacks. There's always going to be a big value on the edge players. And then we didn't even get into how special the top of this wide receiver class is. So when you're looking at the value of defensive line, something that you can go find in the middle tier of free agency, Derek Brown is a better player than any of those kind of guys. I just don't know if teams are going to jump at the opportunity to draft him and Kinlaw in the top 10, top 15 picks. But for New England, this is just a phenomenal player. Brown is, is technically refined. He's a disruptive player. He has all the production in the world that you need playing all those years in the SEC, and, and he's done it against the best competition level in
0: college football. And I think a lot of times with early mock drafts, we're really looking heavy at team needs. And so like if Brown doesn't go 7 uh, to Carolina, you do get into a little bit of a spot of like, God, like would the Jags take him at nine? And then there's a run on quarterbacks. There's a run on tackles. And a guy like that falls down the board. So, I mean, he's top seven on my board. is is not a, a knock on Derek Brown. The reason neither of us took him until here. Number 24, the New Orleans Saints. It's a fascinating team because we don't know. Drew Brees is a free agent. Technically, all their quarterbacks are free agents. Brees is. Bridgewater is. Taysom Hill is a restricted free agent. We'll see what tender they place on him. Basically, the way this works, they can tender him a first-round pick. Any team that wants him would have to give New Orleans a first-round pick in exchange. They could tender him a second-round pick. You could do original round. There's there's different tenders, and then the team that signs him has to give you that in exchange. I've heard that they're going to tender him with a first- or second-round pick, so he should be expected to come back. What they need in this offense is someone opposite Michael Thomas. Now they're obviously doing just fine with Mike catching 150 balls a year, but I think you would like to open things up, especially in the playoffs. We've seen three years now in a row, they get to the playoffs. They're one of the hottest teams in football. They get bounced. Some of those weren't their fault. I understand that. But looking at the availability, Justin Jefferson fits this so well. He just ran their offense at LSU last year. It had a breakout season I need Jefferson put him opposite Mike Thomas you have two amazing route runners at this stage you've got some speed guys already on the roster that complement that well I need Jefferson is just about as seamless as you can get for a rookie wide receiver going into an NFL offense.
1: That's an absolute no brainer. It's nice that Michael Thomas might be on that Jerry Rice pace right now, but let's give the guy a breather and get some help across from him in this offense, especially one, like you said, Matt, that might not be playing with Drew Brees forever. 25, the Minnesota Vikings, they need a corner. Jeff Gladney is, to me, the number two corner in this class. I love his speed. I love how he plays the football in the air. I think he's feisty in coverage. I love everything about Jeff Gladney's game. I wish we had gotten to see him up close and personal at the Senior Bowl. So for the Vikings, it's looked like it's just about over for Xavier Rhodes. It's tough to say that, but he just doesn't have his legs underneath him anymore. But you get a guy that certainly
0: does, and that is Gladney. Love Jeff Gladney, uh, number twenty-six. The Miami Dolphins. We've had them go quarterback and tackle. Now I think they can look at a, a lot of times these mocks. We've gone running back. Uh, it's been kind of a, underreported a little bit. What is going on uh, with Miami Dolphins corner uh, Xavier Howard? And we'll it wait has to been see. Very underreported. We'll wait to see because you don't want to point fingers too early. But it's not good potentially. They could be looking at corner even if Xavier Howard is back. Akeem Tlaib is an older player. They really haven't gotten anything from Tankersley, who they drafted in 17. I think corner is a sneaky need for this team. Christian Fulton is still on the board. You can get a guy who's physical, can press. I think he has enough speed to play in phase down the field. Unfortunately, this year, he was just a little bit banged up. And again, we didn't get to see him in the senior bowl because the ankle injury that happened in the national championship game. I, I like Fulton a lot. I know he's... I talk to people around the league and they say, ah, he's probably like a second round guy. I think it's easy to say that. And then when you're sitting there on the clock and the corners have come off the board, Henderson's gone, Gladney's gone, and you need a corner, I think there's a good chance Fulton goes late round one.
1: And one thing with the Howard charges, Matt, even though they were dropped this weekend, one thing Dolphins fans need to understand is the league will still conduct their own investigation. And we've seen a lot of suspensions even after charges are dropped. So uh, I think corner is most definitely a very important position for them. 27, the Seattle Seahawks. You made a great point to me before the show as Jaron Reed is going to hit free agency most likely. And Javon Kinlaw is on the board at 27. Kinlaw is the Exhibit A of a Seattle pick, a guy oh, that is just a bowl in a china closet You know, maybe the technique needs a little work, but most of the time it doesn't matter because he just whoops the shit out of everyone (laughs) in front of him, even double teams. Kinlaw in Seattle is everyone's worst nightmare and just such a no brainer pick. What he can do, blowing up the run, getting after the quarterback. I know we love talking to him on this show. He was unblockable down in Mobile. Then he hurt his ankle, got back in there on one on ones, won that one on one, and then his agent probably gave him a call and said, hey, buddy, you're going in the first round. Get the fuck off the field. So Kinlaw to Seattle at
0: 27. His buzzer went off. Listen, man. You're out of here. Sorry. Number 28, the Baltimore Ravens, a team that I can see them go running back. I can see them go running back, uh, running back, corner, receiver. But I think edge is going to be a big need. We'll see what happens with Matt Judon. I, I think A.J. Epinesa fits well here because he can play technique. He can play inside. He can stand up and rush a little bit. We've talked about Epinesa needing to be somewhere where he can be versatile, where he can be a little bit of a chess piece. Baltimore is a great fit for him. Again, a player I have ranked quite a bit higher than this. He could go to Atlanta at 16. He could go to Dallas at 17. But as he tumbles down the board a little bit here, the Ravens get really, really fortunate as happens to them, it seems like every year.
1: For all the questions that I've personally had with Epinesa, I do think he's one of the higher floor players in the first round because of his athleticism, because of his size and power. So for the Ravens there at 28, I would feel very, very comfortable with that pick, especially like you said, Matt. We're going to find out what they do with Matt Judon, whether they franchise and trade him, whether they try to make a deal work. Uh, But either way, it's probably a spot that they will look to invest in in this first or second or third round. 29, the Tennessee Titans. Once again, free agency matters so much for these mock drafts, so we're just going to keep doing them. If Derrick Henry does leave in free agency, which I think is fully potentially on the table there, I'm going to go with Jonathan Taylor here from Wisconsin. Now, I like DeAndre Swift better than Taylor. There are things that I like about J.K. Dobbins better than Taylor. But when you look at the fit in this offense, coming in, stepping in, ready to be a 1,500-yard back from day one in this rushing attack, I think Taylor is a perfect fit in Tennessee if they have to replace Derrick Henry. And he's going to run a lot better than people think at the NFL Combine.
0: Oh yeah, like if he he's gonna be low four fours. I think he's a four four guy. Conservatively, uh, I it. the only thing I don't like about Taylor are the fumbles. And sure, if you take that away, gosh, he's probably the best running back in the class because he everything the vision, the power, downhill speed, character. He, yep, character's Elite. great. Yep, number thirty, the Green Bay Packers. We talked to our guy, Alan Lazard, about how you know they're going to add some receivers. He's ready for it. Devontae Adams is ready for it. What they need is speed. is a route runner. Lazard's a big guy. They need speed. They need someone who can make plays with the ball in their hands. In this class, that is LaVisca Chenault. What he does after the catch is special. We were talking about Brandon Ayuk earlier in this show. Chenault, I think, is a little bit better version of that. He's not going to be... I don't think he's going to be exceptionally great straight line speed, but his agility, his quickness, his vision with the ball in his hands is really special. I know you and Melo have said it before. He might be a better at running back. Just get the ball in his hands yeah. and he can make things happen. In Green Bay, you're not expecting him to be a great route runner because you got that guy. Let him be your number three receiver, a little bit of a gadget guy, but just find touches for him.
1: I mean, I look at Chennault and... It's. I wish. I think something we should do on this show is maybe stack players in a different way, like by categories, like speed, uh, ability after the catch. And when yeah. you get into that ability after the catch, it's really like Chennault, CeeDee Lamb, and Ayuk in the conversation. And I love Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs because of their speed and explosiveness. But when Chennault lowers his shoulder... Uh, guys just fly off of him. Yep. Uh, it's really wild to watch. And and he has a fast NFL dot com did a really, really nice story on his, you know, pretty crazy childhood, his upbringing, what's molded him to make him the player in person he is right now. And I think in Green Bay, that is just a seamless fit where. You look at Adams, Chennault, and Lazard. That's a really nice trio there, a younger trio to develop around with their older quarterback. 31, the 49ers. I originally had Grant Delpit here. I'm going to switch it up. I went with Cesar Ruiz from Michigan, interior offensive lineman. He was a phenomenal center this year for Michigan. I do think 6'4", 320, he can play guard. And he moves very well for that size. When you watch him against Notre Dame, his ability to get outside as a pulling interior offensive lineman opened up some huge run lanes. With the 49ers, I know Weston Richburg has been very, very good. His injury history right now, Matt, is as significant as it gets. Uh, You have to wonder... Is he going to be back at full strength? Is he going to stay healthy is the biggest question I have. So to give yourself insurance, not only at center, but across your entire interior offensive lineman for a guy that is not only great size, but a scheme fit with Kyle. I love Ruiz's film. And if he sneaks into the rent in the first round, I would not be shocked
0: in the slightest bit. Yeah. I think he's a first rounder. And if he doesn't go at 31, he could go at 32 where the exactly. Kansas City Chiefs are selecting. Because he was gone, I went linebacker Patrick Queen. I know a lot of Chiefs fans want a corner here. I didn't want to reach for an A.J. Terrell or Jalen Johnson or Cam Dansler. I think the smart move is honestly to trade back. But with the board falling the way that it did, Patrick Queen solves a lot of your problems at linebacker. The Chiefs want speed. We saw them bring in Darren Lee. But they want smart guys. We saw them bring in Reggie Raglan. Anthony Hitchens is somewhere in the middle of that. I think they could use a big upgrade here. And as they start to get up against the cap again with when they're gonna have to pay Mahomes, you got Tyree Kill, Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew, Chris Jones is a free agent. So you gotta get start to get cheaper at some positions. I think linebacker is one spot they could save some money. So Patrick Queen, he's a top fifteen player, I think, on my board. So him here at thirty two. Really good value for Brett Veach and the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. And we think Chris Jones is gone, right? Really starting to feel that way, even if it's a tag and trade. Uh, Something I wrote about uh, on Friday in the Scatting Notebook. I think that, yeah, I think it's a pretty good chance he's gone. I mean, when you look at it, when you win a
1: Super Bowl, your players are going to get poached. It happens. And I think for the Chiefs, I don't want to call Chris Jones expendable because he is phenomenal. But like all great teams have to do, there's going to have to be some tough decisions made, making this, this first rounder really interesting. I love
0: Queen, though. Love him. Yeah, good value, good fit. Let's take a break. We have four draft-on-draft draft questions for you coming up right after this. It is draft-on-draft draft time. Our guy Dan Supa asked, what's the likelihood the Niners get out of the Jimmy G contract and pursue a quarterback in the draft or a Cam Newton? Uh, as a resident Niners fan, I'll say I am a little bit more worried about Jimmy G than I was because, yeah, when the game got tight, he folded a little bit. No way in hell this happens uh, or should happen. I think that you look at the Niners right now. It's about John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo. That is your identity. Jimmy would have been the MVP if Mahomes hadn't pulled off the magic he did, or, or at least he or Bosa would have been. He was playing really well until the fourth quarter. I don't think you can get out of that contract necessarily, number one, even if you wanted to. I think he's better than Cam Newton, who's been hurt for a year and a half, and he's 27 years old. This was his first year coming off an ACL tear. And I, I know there's been a lot of, uh oh, Jimmy can't get it done. Jimmy can't get it done. He did all season. And I think it's just a matter of building the help around him. And then sometimes you're going to run into a fucking juggernaut, and that's what Mahomes is.
1: Yeah, that's the problem there. I mean, if Jimmy makes the one throw – and the, in the fourth quarter there, we're talking about, you know, Super Bowl MVP Jimmy Garoppolo and, you know, can the Niners repeat next year and how good can this dynasty be? But unfortunately, he didn't make the throw. Now, I like that our buddy Dan Suba brings up the contract talk because I'll say this. It is very, very flexible for the Niners to get out. I forgot they about need that. To. You can if get out they, now. Yep. They, they basically can get out now with very minimal dead money. Yep. I think they will go into this year with Jimmy G as their quarterback. I feel pretty, pretty comfortable about that. If things don't work out before the 2021 season, the dead money hit is $2.8 million. That is chump change in today's NFL in terms of dead money hits, especially on a quarterback contract. So this year, probably Jimmy's year, if it doesn't work out, you're going to hear the Kirk Cousin noise uh, oh, ramp up again because we know how much Kyle values Kirk Cousins and we know how much Kirk Cousins values being somewhere comfortable and safe for him. So I think when you look at it, though, we're looking at Jimmy Garoppolo in the 2020 season.
0: You know, the, like, the way the NFL works, though, Brady goes to the Raiders like you keep trying to make happen. You know Belichick's calling, being like, hey, I don't want to lose oh. this guy anyway. What it do you want? Shock, shock me at all, right? And you know Jimmy would go back there with Bill. Oh fuck yeah! Bill,
1: lo- yeah. Bill's obsessed with him.
0: So who so. knows? Um, I, I've been a Niners fan long enough to know that right when you think you have a dynasty with Montana and Young, crazy things happen, and you end up with Jeff Garcia, and then you know it's just, it, it is what it is. Pat Chamberlain says, "Is there any reality to the rumors of Miami trying to trade up to the number two pick?" If Miami jumps to two, do you think Detroit would still trade down or would they stay at three and take, sorry, long question. And take chase young. So uh, I'll say this. I think it's way too early to do more than speculate about trades. Like we keep saying, now Miami's probably going to have to trade up. I think it's, it's a little early and I, I know where this question is coming from because there was some noise on Twitter. Someone reported that this trade was happening. I think it's a little too early to say anything like that. So if Miami comes up to two, The problem with Washington is, okay, you're back down at five. And as we say always, that means you got to have enough players that you like at this spot. So if that happens, I think Detroit just takes Chase Young. That's the easiest pick in the history of the Lions franchise. Plug him in opposite Trey Flowers. I have a hard time seeing Washington want to trade back to five because all the needs that this team has, especially if they can get Trent Williams to come back, their need, I mean, they need an edge rusher. They need a corner. So it could happen. It would probably take all of Miami's picks, would be my thought. That's the
1: thing. All their first round picks. Sorry. For Washington, yeah, it's not gonna be cheap, number one. Washington will have to face the reality that Chase Young is going to the Lions, and then the Giants will take either Jedrick Wills, Jeff Akuta, or Isaiah Simmons. So for Washington at five, you need to, you know, feel comfortable or love Jeff Akuta. Or Jedrick Wills, enough where you're sitting there saying, hey, you know, Trent's going to be gone. We're going to have to trade him. Maybe we get our second rounder back in that trade. We can replace him with Jedrick Wills, or we replace Josh Norman with Jeff Akuda. They would really have to love those guys to entertain this trade offer because then you're the team that passed on Chase Young. That's the issue. That's
0: what you worry about. And I think, like, Chase Young is. Not getting talked enough about it. He's going to blow up the I, combine, and I think that will change. He's cooled off, and I am
1: so tired of the he disappeared down the stretch talk. No, he did not. <laughs> it's just such a lie. Yeah. It's such a lie. So, I mean, I think he's just so good that we don't talk about him because if you don't take him in with the second overall pick, you're
0: insane. Yeah, I, I so. absolutely agree. And, again, uh, we've talked about this a lot today. I remember this happening with Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa, you know, where people are like, Oh, but by the time the combine rolls around, you forgot how great they were. Uh, But teams will not forget Garrett Greenlee. Who do you think will grade higher at the end of the process? Darnell Savage or Xavier McKinney? For me, it will be Xavier McKinney. I liked Darnell Savage a lot. I mean, he was, had so much speed playing free safety, but it, it'll be McKinney. Uh, I'm trying to to get my notes to pull up where that's I that's what I'm doing the same thing uh, where I had Savage last year. He wasn't my top safety. I I, I want to say I remember that being being the case. Uh, I Taylor Rapp is my top safety. Then Jonathan Abram. Uh, so I had Savage. Yeah, he was like mid round two for me. So I don't see any way that McKinney falls that far on my board. Yeah, I had Savage at 52
1: overall, and I will put the house on unless he runs a four <laughs> seven. That right. McKinney will be much higher than fifty two overall. And yeah. I, I'll be honest with you, Matt. I was I think he's a good player and I thought he definitely flashed a lot this year. I was a little caught off guard when Savage went as high as he did. I was too. I really was, so, yeah. I and thought I, McKinney, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, McKinney's going in the first round.
0: I really thought Chauncey Gardner Johnson was more like that guy. Like if you were gonna go with more covered safety. And he did have a great year or Nasir year Adderley, even I uh, was kind of in that conversation. So now nah, McKinney will be, will be ahead of that. Last question from Rob Griffith. Can you see a scenario where Sean McVay is on the hot seat and the Rams are looking to move on from Jared Goff at the end of next season? I cannot. I think McVay's star is still burning bright for all the problems the Rams had this year. They still finished with a winning season. Their pick is still number 20 overall. They were almost a playoff team in a division that had the NFC's number one seed and the NFC Seattle was 11 and five. They would have been the number one seed in almost any other division. The Rams went nine and seven. Yeah, they got to rebuild on the fly a little bit with the O-line. I, I, I think McVay's just fine. And, and I actually will give him credit for revamping his staff this year and saying, all right, we got to shake some things up because nine and seven is not good enough for us.
1: I mean, we talked about before how the Jimmy G contract is written to get out of it. The Jared Goff one is not. So no. <laughs> I, they love Sean McVay. And if he was ever fired from the Rams, he they, he's so loved and valued by the league. Teams would trade for him. You wouldn't even have to fire him. You would get something in return for yep. Sean McVay. So that's not happening. With Goff, I think he's going to have the reins there for at least two more years. So in 2022, his dead money is $10 million. At that point of the, the league contracts, you could swallow that money. But the Rams are one of those teams that they don't really have enough picks where you go, oh, well, they'll take a, take a guy that could challenge Goff. Right. Like, like how Gardner Minshew came out of nowhere last year. Like, Will they take a mid-round guy and hope that he could challenge Goff? I, I don't think they have enough picks to even do that. No, I think they're going to do everything they
0: can to make this bad boy work there. I think that's what I was waiting to hop in on. I think more so they are understanding the limitations of golf and they'll try to cover that up with bigger receivers or, you know, whatever the case might be. And I think their problems were not just Jared Goff. Todd Gurley fell off a cliff. The offensive line did not play well. I mean, losing Roger Saffold and uh, Sullivan at center, that was huge for them. And we want to put all the blame and all the praise on quarterbacks when they're good. But man, I, Really feel like when you look at them, it's not not just golf. He wasn't great, but it wasn't just on him. All right, that is our show for today. We will be back Wednesday morning. Hopefully have an update on Tua's CT scan. We're going to fix a team, and we're going to go heavy on on draft-on-draft. So send in those draft-on-draft questions, whether it's on Twitter, in your Apple podcast review, however you want to do it. Hit us up. We'll do we'll do like 10 of them on Wednesday. Yeah, we
1: got a lot of in the in the reviews. So if you left an iTunes review recently, that's going to be the catch up show for all of those questions. And knowing how the NFL works, I'm sure in these next 24 hours, there'll be some bombshell news at some point.
0: Exactly. Something will happen. But really, cuts should start happening this week. So there will be some news, but we'll be back in 24 hours. We'll talk to you guys real soon.